You may be seated. One of the greatest things that people fear in this life is death. Although, ironically, if you look at surveys that ask people, what is your greatest fear in life? Actually, death typically isn't at the very top of the responses in those surveys. The top response is actually public speaking. Uh, Comedian Jerry Seinfeld has offered a humorous commentary on this. I want to read it for you. Jerry Seinfeld says that according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Death is number two. Yes, does that sound right? This means that to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. Now, I, I think Jerry Seinfeld's really mocking the results of this survey because in reality, even though a lot of people do say that public speaking is their greatest fear, I, I've heard many people say that, and I can say that for most of my life, public speaking was a tremendous fear for me. I would say that in reality, even though public speaking is very fearful and scary, if you really dig down deep and understand what's going on in people's hearts, that fear of death is probably lurking there somewhere, just making uh, people a little uncertain, a little insecure as they look at the various things going on in their lives. Because as we look at our lives, there's a 100% mortality rate among the human race. I mean, every single person who lives one day will die. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how popular you are. It doesn't matter how much care you take of your body. One day, apart from Jesus returning before we die, we will all breathe our last breath here on this earth at some point. But the beauty of what Christ has done for us is that death does not have the final word in our lives. Because Jesus has risen, death has been destroyed. Jesus' resurrection means that death is disarmed. It's destroyed. It's defeated. Death, like I said, does not have the final word in our lives anymore. I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible with you but would like to follow along, there are Bibles in the pews or the chairs in front of you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which we're examining this morning, is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that's what the entire chapter is about. The chapter begins by pointing to the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And then as you go through the chapter, it talks about how Jesus' resurrection applies to the lives of those who follow Christ. And then our passage we're looking at today is at the very end of this chapter. It's really the climax of the chapter where Paul just can't contain himself from just praising God and just overflowing with excitement and enthusiasm for what Jesus has done for us through his death and his resurrection. I'm going to read this passage from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 through 58. So I invite you to follow along as I read. Paul says that when the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Today I want to point out three different aspects of, um, of, of death and how Jesus' resurrection has affected death. The first thing I want to point to is that death is an ugly enemy that we all face. As I said before, there's a 100% mortality rate. There's nothing we can do to prevent ourselves from physically dying at some point. 
in the future. It's an ugly enemy because um, no matter what your perspective is on death, no matter how much hope you have in Christ, the death of a loved one, whether it's a family member or a friend, or even as you contemplate your own death, it's not a happy thought. I mean, there's a lot of sadness that goes along with that, even when we have hope in Christ. And here in this passage, Paul says that we are perishable, that we are mortal. I, I think this word perishable is really helpful in understanding uh, what death is all about, because when we think about something that's perishable, we recognize it's not going to last forever. I think about perishable food that you can buy at a grocery store. If you buy an item of perishable food, you know that as soon as you leave the store with that piece of food, the clock is ticking on the shelf life of that food. At some point or another, that food is not going to be good to eat any longer. I came uh, face to face with that truth back when I left my parents' house for the first time. I was a freshman in college. Uh, when I was under my parents' roof first 18 years of my life, I didn't really think that much about the perishability of food. But then, freshman year of college, I had three experiences that are very memorable about how food will perish if you aren't careful. First of all, a loaf of bread. A loaf of bread has a, has a decent shelf life, except when you forget about it and it sits there for several months hidden somewhere, and then you suddenly pull it out, and it's no longer the nice golden brown. It's white and black and blue with mold. I mean, it was gross when I found that, and I picked it up and took it as quickly as I could to the trash can down the hall. That's what happens with bread, because it has a shelf life. It, it, it's perishable. It won't last forever. Second item was a banana that I had. Again, somehow bananas are tasty for a week or two. If you leave them longer than that, they turn black. This banana I found was, I mean, it was completely black. And, and it was to the point where the inside was pure liquid. I was very proud of this banana. I put it on my desk to show all my friends when they came in. Um, I don't know if they were impressed or not. But I had to throw it away when the banana started leaking. <laughs> it's perishable food. It won't last forever. The third item was milk. Um, I treated this milk well. I kept it in the refrigerator. I didn't put it out in the hot sun. But do you know that when milk stays in the refrigerator long enough, it'll begin to separate? There is this nice layer of bright yellow oil on top. And then another layer on the bottom of thick white cream. I didn't even open that one up. Um, but, but food oftentimes is very perishable, where if it's not used in a certain period of time, it's not going to be useful any longer. And I think this word perishable that Paul uses here in verse 54 is very appropriate for our lives. Because we also have an expiration date. We have a shelf life. We are perishable. No matter how good a care we take care of ourselves, we will not live forever. There will come a time when we will breathe our last breath on this earth. And, and there are times, when we're, especially when you're younger, that you can feel kind of invincible. I think of people in their teens, in their 20s, maybe even in, into their 30s. There are times when you think, well, that bad stuff may happen to someone else, but not me. I thought that, I mean, I knew for a long time that, um, that death is a reality that I can't take any day for granted. But that reality struck home with me last summer. I was diagnosed with a blood clot in my leg. And, and it was a bit of a wake-up call for me. Uh, and it made me come face-to-face with my own mortality. I want to read you a couple sentences from my prayer journal that day. I, I had a lot of talking with God to do on that particular day as I was diagnosed with that blood clot. Um, but I want to read you a couple sentences that I wrote in my prayer journal. I said, I feel like this is the closest I've actually come to facing my own frailty and mortality. A tiny blood clot, even the one that's in me now, could easily end my life or render me incapacitated. 
Now, thankfully, I, I've survived well through that blood clot. Uh, but it was, it was quite scary. And it was a wake-up call to the fact that I am not invincible. I am mortal. I am perishable. And I don't know when the end is going to come. And oftentimes, when we face those circumstances in our life, um, they, they serve as wake-up calls to remind us that we are not invincible. And that's important that we don't take any day for granted. Death is an ugly enemy that each one of us has to face in our lives. And no matter how well prepared you are for it, no matter how, how you come to grips with the fact that we are immortal, and no matter how much hope you have in Christ, it's still not easy. I mean, there are times when death stinks, especially when you lose someone who you really care about, or when you think about your own life being cut short from uh, what you wanted it to become. Even Jesus knew this. I mean, back in John chapter 11, at the death of Jesus' friend Lazarus, we see that Jesus wept. And I think it's really striking that Jesus wept because just a few moments later, he was going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, Lazarus would then die again uh, probably a few years after that. But Jesus knew that one, at one point, Lazarus would be alive in heaven. But Jesus still wept. And I think that the reason why Jesus wept there was just sadness over the state of this world. How death was not the way that God designed this world. But death entered the world as a result of sin. And sin, sin created a fallen world, and now death is a current reality. But Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago to destroy death and overcome sin. And that's what Paul goes on in this passage to say next, is that Jesus has defeated death. Specifically in verse 54, it says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. This, this really shows that it's really Jesus and death going face to face with each other, toe to toe, and Jesus is the victor. Death is ultimately defeated. But here in this passage that we're looking at today, we don't actually see a description of Jesus' resurrection. In order to see that, we have to go to other places in the Bible. Uh, one of the places that gives a brief description is at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. There in verses 3 through 6, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. <clears throat> After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So here we see Paul describing uh, Christ's death and his resurrection. He says that Christ died for our sins. That's, that's the bottom line reason why Jesus came to this world in the first place was to pay the penalty that we deserve, the death penalty, on the cross by dying in our place, by taking the wrath of God for sins that we deserved. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back to life. But I think sometimes it's easy to take for granted the fact that Jesus died. Uh, this last uh, week on Good Friday, we had a special Good Friday service here. It was actually a funeral for Jesus. It was a bit of a hypothetical funeral because we all know that he's alive now. Um, <clears throat> but this funeral hypothetically took place we, we, we rewound time back to about 30 A.D., sometime between the time of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And at this funeral, I mean, we, we organized the whole thing to seem like a normal funeral, but we had a casket that was sitting right here. And, and as I was looking at that casket, as, as I was preparing for that funeral, the fact of Jesus' death struck home to me in a new way. I mean, I'd known it in my mind for a long time, but, but that picture of the casket really drove home the fact that Jesus really died. If you want to see that casket, it's actually still here at church. It's over in my office. Um, 
It, it, it kind of surprised a few people yesterday. You stopped by my office. We're storing it till tomorrow when the funeral home comes and picks it up. Um, but Jesus was dead. I mean, he had no pulse. He was not breathing any longer. If he was a chocolate lover and you took a bar of chocolate and put it in front of his face, he would not have responded at all. If we took our 21st century technology back to the first century and put a defibrillator on him or tried to give him a blood transfusion, it wouldn't have mattered because Jesus was dead. But as we said, Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again three days later and defeated death. Now, some people today mock the resurrection. They say, well, people back then in the first century, they were more gullible than we are today. Today, we're really smart. Today, we, we have science. We know how things work. But back then, you know, they were pretty gullible. Some, some people probably just said, yeah, Jesus was resurrected and everyone believed him. But I don't think that's true. I mean, I, I don't think it's true that, that people then were more gullible than we are today. I mean, people then knew death just as much as we do today. They may not know all the biological facts that take place in the body, but they knew a dead person when they saw one. The Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus were experts in killing and in death. And if there was anyone in that world who would know when a person was dead, it was them. And they were the ones who put Jesus to death. I came across a couple of uh, kind of humorous quotes recently uh, that come from our, uh, our current time period. But I think that people back then in the first century would understand, just as we do today, that what uh, these couple of uh, examples show is absurd. One example comes from a letter from the Health and Human Services Department uh, to a resident of South Carolina. This took place about 20 years ago. Uh, it says, here's the contents of the letter. Your food stamps will be stopped, effective of March 1992, because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You, you may reapply if your circumstances change. <laughs> now, you hear that. I mean, you think, okay, if a person's really dead... What, what's this letter all about? Their circumstances are not going to change. They're dead. In the 21st century, we, knew, we know that. Back in 1992, they knew that. Back in the 1st century, they knew that as well. It's absurd to think that someone's going to come back from the dead. Another account, uh, a true story of a, of a father driving through town uh, with his 5-year-old son. They were driving by a cemetery. And they, as they were driving by that cemetery, the son spotted a freshly dug grave uh, that was awaiting the burial and there was a pile of dirt there next to the grave. You've probably seen those piles of dirt, dirt if you've been by a cemetery ever. The son pointed at that pile and said, Look, Dad, one got out. I mean, we know that once someone's dead, they're not going to get back up out of the grave. In the first century, they knew that as well. They knew that when a person's dead, they're not going to come back to life. Yet one did get out of the grave, and that was Jesus Christ. And, and he didn't do this in a vacuum. I mean, it wasn't like he appeared to one person and that one person told everyone else that, hey, I saw Jesus alive. No, it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people over a period of 40 days. That's a lot of people had to see Jesus after he'd risen from the dead. So we can have confidence in the fact that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. And because he is alive, he has defeated death. We see in verse 55, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? This is kind of like Paul mocking death, saying, death, you thought you were great stuff. Yeah, you're ugly. Yeah, you do wreak havoc in our lives sometimes. But death, you do not have the final say. You don't have the victory, and your sting is gone. To understand this verse, we need to understand this concept of a sting. And I think to picture what a sting is, think of a bee. A bee has a stinger. 
Now, a bee is really not much different in size than the regular fly you see flying around. We don't fear flies, do we? I don't know of anyone who does. We may not like them, but we don't usually fear them. But when a bee comes to us, we may get a little bit more jumpy because it has that stinger on it. A couple weeks ago, Shelley and, and Micaias and I were down in the Smoky Mountains on vacation, and we stopped by the side of the road to take a picture of a nice picturesque place. We stuck the camera on top of the car and, and took that picture that you see. And then after we were done taking the picture, we were getting back in the car. But there were more than just three of us who got in the car because the bee decided to come in as well. And you can imagine the drama that took place over the next few minutes because we did not really want to drive down, back down the mountain sharing the car with a bee because that bee had a stinger. And, and we didn't really want to get stung by a bee. And so, so we, eventually comp- or we, we re- eventually took care of that bee. I'll say it didn't officially leave the car, but it was incapacitated enough where it didn't threaten us anymore. But if, if it had just been a housefly that came into our car, we wouldn't have cared. It may have been a little bit annoying, but we wouldn't have cared. But that bee had a stinger. Now, if you could take that stinger out of the bee, it may still create a lot of noise, but it couldn't ultimately cause us any sort of harm or pain. And Paul's saying here that that's what Jesus has done to death. That death is like that bee, but he's taken the sting out of the death. Now, now death can still cause a lot of problems, a lot of challenges, but death doesn't ultimately win. And our fear of death should not be the same as it would if Christ had not died and been resurrected. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And the cool thing is that Jesus doesn't just keep the victory over death for himself. He shares it with all of us. In verse 57, Paul says, But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He shares that victory with us. When Paul refers to us here, he's referring to himself and other followers of Christ. It's not necessarily referring to every single person in the world, but it refers to everyone who has placed their faith in Christ, who's committed themselves to trust in Christ alone for their their salvation and committed themselves to follow in Christ. That is the us who Jesus is sharing his victory with. But he, he opens the invitation to everyone, saying, if anyone wants to share in this victory with me, they are welcome to come and follow me, and they can share in the victory over death. This victory over death will be fully enforced when Jesus returns. We see a couple of verses earlier in verse 52. Paul's describing when this victory will be fully enforced. He says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet is when it'll come. For the trumpet will sound... The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. This is talking about the resurrection of, or the, the return of Christ. When he returns, everyone who has passed away, whose faith is in Christ, will be raised, will be raised imperishable, imperishable. No longer perishable, no longer mortal, but we will then live forever. And this makes a big difference in the way that we live our lives. On one hand, we need to understand that if death, doesn't have the final say, if Jesus is ultimately victorious over death, it should change our perspective on the death of those around us and even of our own death. I mean, now, death, like I said, is still a challenge. It's still not fun. I mean, it can be a cause of great sadness and mourning and, and grieving. But death doesn't have the final say. I think it, it's helpful to look at, um, compare the death of a loved one who knew Christ with when you have to say goodbye to someone here on earth for a period of time. It's a temporary goodbye. It's not long-term. It's, it's temporary. It's not forever. A number of years ago, uh, when Shelley and I were dating, I went on a two-month mission trip to Brazil. 
And I didn't know I had that many emotions in me that I expressed on that day. I mean, the emotions just flowed as I had to say goodbye to Shelly for two months. It was hard. I felt like I was leaving a piece of myself back in America as I was flying thousands of miles away. But I had the hope that at the end of those two months, we would be reunited. It wasn't a goodbye forever. It was just a temporary goodbye. And because Jesus is victorious over death, we can have that same confidence that if we have our faith in Christ, and if those who die also have their faith in Christ, there will be a reunion at some point in the future. It's a temporary goodbye. It's a hard goodbye, but at some point we will be reunited. And that's the confidence that we have through Jesus' victory over death. There's one other way that Jesus' victory over death makes a difference in our own personal daily lives. And and I think... um, It's illustrated by a quote I came across by a Russian author named Leo Tolstoy. Leo Tolstoy tells the story of how when he was about 50 years old, he faced a significant crisis in life. He said it actually drove him near the point of suicide. And it was this issue of just wondering, what lasting effect is my life having? He specifically said, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy. You see, he realized that as successful as he was on this earth, that, 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 that those successes and the money he had gained, the notoriety he gained, would die with him. He wouldn't be able to carry them on. At some point, he wouldn't be able to enjoy them anymore. At some point, people may even forget about who he was. But here in verse 58, Paul says that because of the resurrection of Christ, Our lives now really do outlive us. It says in verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain because our life here on this earth is not the final chapter of our lives. It's simply one chapter. I brought a book with me this morning that is appropriately titled, my life. Now, oftentimes when we think of our lives on this earth, we think that, okay, when we breathe our final breath here on this earth, it's like closing the book and it's done. But from what Paul's saying here, because of Jesus' victory, our death on this earth is not the end of our story. In fact, our death on this earth just signals the end of one little chapter. I mean, it's like this represents our life on earth, but we have more and more chapters to live after life on this earth is done, because Jesus has conquered death. He's overcome it, so we will live on. But the things that we do here in this life, in this little chapter, will continue to live on, especially when we invest our lives in the things that matter for eternity, in things like our own relationship with God, in terms of serving others and caring for others and helping others grow closer to God, in terms of being generous with the resources and the talents and the time that God has given us. We can invest our lives now in eternity. But when, when we breathe our last breath on this earth, it will be the end of a chapter of our lives, but it will, it will not be the end of our story because Jesus has overcome the grave and he extends that victory to us as well. Now, a question for us as we wrap up today. We've been talking about Jesus' victory over death. Does this mean that none of us should ever fear death? Well, I think it depends on our relationship with Christ. It, de- it depends on where we stand with him. Over in 1 John chapter 5, John makes it very clear that there are two types of people in this world. 
One type of person has, has a living relationship with Christ. The other type does not. And that makes a difference on how we should view death. First, 1 John 5.11, John says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And it's pretty black and white there. People who have a living relationship with God, or with Christ, who've placed their faith in Him for salvation rather than depending on their own good, good works to make them right with God, those who've committed themselves to follow on Christ have the assurance, the confidence, the victory over death, which Christ is sharing with them. But if someone doesn't have that relationship with Christ, if someone doesn't care much about Christ or is just caught up in uh, the religion aspect of things rather than the relationship with Christ, John makes it very clear that these people don't have life. And these are people who should still fear death because Jesus' victory doesn't extend to them if they don't take that gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. I think back to earlier in my life, I, I was one of those people who never really thought much about death. I knew it was a reality out there somewhere, but I was about 20 years old, a uh, sophomore in college, when a friend in one of my classes asked me a question that changed my life. He said, Brandon, if you were to die tonight and stand before the throne of God, and God asks you why he should let you into heaven, what would you say? I had no idea. I'd never really considered that type of question before. But I came to find out that it's very important that I do consider it. Because all of us are perishable. None of us will live forever. And it's important that we allow Jesus' victory to take force in our lives. So that when our life on this earth is done, that we will continue to live with Christ in heaven. My prayer for all of us is that we will come to accept Jesus' victory in our lives. So that we don't have to fear death. I like the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1. He was very near the end of his life. And he was writing uh, to a church in a town called Philippi, and he said, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if we are someone who has taken Christ's victory in our own lives, that we have placed our faith in him and have committed ourselves to following him, we can have that same perspective. As long as we are here living on this earth, that we are Christ's representatives, that, that we have a role here, that our, that our life here has a purpose that extends beyond the grave. So that if we live, we have a purpose here that lasts for eternity. And if we die, well, that's gain. Because we close one chapter, but we open the next chapter of our eternal life, which is far better. My prayer is that each one of us will experience that victory that Jesus gives us and the true life that he extends to each one of us. We don't have to fear death because Jesus has risen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you give us hope beyond the grave. It's pretty amazing to think about that reality because death seems so final to us here in this lifetime. But we thank you that, that because of what you have done in your perfect life, death, and resurrection, death does not have the final word. And I pray that you will help us to apply this reality to each of our lives, that we may not fear death, but that we may follow Christ. And I want to lift up those this morning, Lord, who are grieving the loss of loved ones recently. I especially lift up uh, the family of Loretta Wilde as she passed away yesterday. And God, we pray um, for Lawrence and for the rest of their family, the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, friends. God, we pray for your comfort in their lives and that you will draw each member of this family closer to you through this time. God, we also lift up Carissa Teller and, and her family as they grieve the loss of her grandfather yesterday. Um, God, please... Please be comforting this family as well. 
And, and for all of us, Lord, we know that death is an ugly enemy that we all have to face. But we thank you that Jesus offers victory. We pray these things in his name. Amen.